0: You're listening to the Scars and Guitars Podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online and my name is Andrew Mackay Smith. Hope you're well, wherever you are in the world. The interview subject I've got lined up for you, it's Matt Walters from the Adelaide-based outfit Freedom of Fear. Now the reason for the conversation is to talk up their album that they released during 2019 called Nocturnal Gates. It actually made number 40 on my top 50 albums, but forget about numbers for a moment. This is just an extraordinary release by a very good songwriter who has a great band around him. Let's get stuck into things, shall we? Matt from the band, Freedom of Fear. Mate, so let's get stuck into talking about this album. And and look, I've got to tell you, Nocturnal Gates, it has made my top 50. Um, when I, I got the promo way earlier on in the year. I can't remember who sent it to me, but I've just been so busy with everything that I didn't sort of respond and say, look, I'd like to have a chat to you. But... Um, it was, and, and take this as a real compliment because I'm always, I always give an unfamiliar band a chance, particularly an Australian metal band a chance, and I'm so glad I did so because on the first listen I didn't quite get what you guys were doing, okay? But I actually, I don't know what it was, man, that happens and I usually just stop listening and move on because I get hundreds of releases every, every year as you can appreciate. But like all really good albums, mate, great albums even, it eventually dug its claws into me and I found myself listening to it all the time. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. There's so much going on. And, you know, I reckon you guys are the Australian vanguard of something really important. This is really important to me as a as a fan of heavy metal, but bands that recognize the contribution of Death, Cynic, yeah, Nile, yeah. and Morbid Angel, the big four, as I call them, all there, especially that Chuck Sheldina stuff that you guys have got going on and that Paul Masvidal. I mean, I can hear in your playing, mate, you you must know who Paul Masvidal is, you know, from Death and Cynic. and Yeah, yeah. Because I can hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all there, but the thing is mate, a lot of metal bands these days and this is a really good really good bit of feedback I think for you as the guitarist is that they're just interested in fretboard wankery and gent and that's not melodic. None of that stuff's melodic. You know, metal is still about making you bang your head or shake your hips. It's one of the two. You know, you're going to do one of the two with heavy metal. It, it's an energetic style of music, and yeah. I find with, with a lot of a lot of bands, mate, they forget that. They forget that you've actually got to be entertaining at the same time. And you guys have found that middle ground between it being a really enjoyable something to listen to. It's not a harsh listen and extremity so you appeal to as broad a possible an audience as I think as you can, you know, the black metal guys, the death metal uh, cohort or what have you. It's, it's really um, all there, man. So, and I know I've said quite a bit in that, that stanza there, but do you agree with some of the stuff I've said? And, and what else can you tell me about the album?
1: Um, well, yeah, I think you're pretty spot on with the influences. I mean, um, yeah, like my biggest influences are probably, you got Death, Morbid Angel, then Obscura, the sort of tech death stuff. Yeah, I think like I don't really know what we were trying to do with the album. Hmm. Like like you said, it's it's pretty eclectic, but um, we tried our hardest to sort of um, compose the songs so that it it still makes sense. Um, And like, well, I pretty much did all the writing on the album. For me, there's going to be more collaboration on the next one, which will be good. So we'll probably be able to pump one out quicker. Um, But yeah, there's lots of influence from old school stuff, but also wanted it to be relevant to sort of modern listeners, and like I, I sort of listen to a balanced spectrum from all the old school to the new school bands, so um, mm. yeah, and, and it's definitely about the sort of this sort of energy, like I get bored pretty easily listening to music sometimes if it's not really grabbing my attention, so mm. if if I'm playing some of my riffs, I, if I start feeling like, oh not, something else needs to happen here, or you know, something has to happen for the, the live energy, so it's good to think about the mm-hmm. live performances as well, I think. So, um, yeah, and I do want it to be catchy because otherwise, you know, I, I guess a I rip getting stuck in your head what often makes you want to listen to the song again unless it's like stuck in your head in a bad way. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess
0: that's...
1: Yeah, it's it's killing me. That, yeah, yeah
0: and, and did you... You mentioned something in there where you said that the next album there'll be more people for you to collaborate with. So I take it you wrote most of the music on this album. yeah.
1: Basically, basically all of the music. Corey, the other guitarist, wrote like a few arpeggios on the abstract Venom, Mm -hmm. that part that comes in. But the rest of it, pretty much I did all the writing for that because the band wasn't really... There was a time where the lineup wasn't together because the first EP we did had a completely different lineup and then Mm. um, Corey, the other guitarist, he joined sort of gradually as we were playing live as a live member and then, um, yeah... So he, he the songs are basically written already, and then um, cool yeah. Georgina, the bassist, is the only really original member that's um, been with us the whole time. So, okay. yeah.
0: Gotcha. But then
1: uh, Corey's writing some new stuff, and I'm writing new stuff as well now. So yeah, there should be more collaboration. That'll around. be
0: that'll be really interesting for you, I think, because I think one of the things I really liked about it, and it, it makes sense why, because I was only having this conversation last night, but when an album is written by one person and effectively instructions are issued, to me, it's far more cohesive. You know, there are very few bands uh, where you can sort of collaborate, you know, like Metallica are a good example. I can't stand them these days. But it, it's, yeah. it sounded, to me, they sounded a lot better when James was basically giving the riffs to Lars and saying, you want to arrange it, arrange it, and then just tell the other guys what the hell else is going on. These days, I just, I find their last, of course, since 1990, 1990, I found this as an old fan, uh, virtually, not black. I didn't buy black. I didn't get into it. But, you know, ever since that era, it's just too simple. And I think part of the issue for them is that they've been managing their songs by committee rather than having James come up with these... Basically, all time greatest riffs. A long time what Dave, alongside of what Dave Mustaine had already written for the band, and bringing to the guys and go. Let's work on this, guys. And, and I think that that that'll be a bit of a challenge for you, man, because you set the bar very high here, brother. I mean, there's there's some a lot of intricate passages here, um, and the other everything seems to make sense with this album, Nocturnal Gates. You know, a lot of this stuff, man, and and believe me, I'm not going to name any bands, but they're Australian bands. I'll tell you afterwards, off off uh, podcast. But some Australian bands that I listen to, they're just, they just it just sound like a mishmash of all these bullshit influences instead of just doubling down on the melody, like I feel you've done. And that's what that's what I really think gives you a winny here. So you've got the shred, you, it's shredtastic, absolutely a shredtastic. But it's a mid-paced album as well. You know, was that was that mid-paced yeah. intentional? Um, I think
1: i guess it averages out as being mid-paced because it's got slow and fast parts and it's it's never i I don't want it to just be intense the whole time because then it doesn't really give the intense parts the impact i guess like you just adjust to whatever the intensity level is and then everything sounds like the same you know that's what Mm. i find with some bands or um or it sounds like yeah they've been jamming in a jam room and they've Oh, here's another riff. Here's another riff, and then they'll like stack them together into a song. That's exactly um, it. yeah. Good, good way. And to describe yeah, that. like it's when you can sort of sit there and it'll, like those songs took me a long time to write. Sometimes it would take over a year to write one because <clears> I wouldn't know what's the best bit to put next, or you know, or I might have the start and the end good, but it needed a middle section. And like I'll wait till something uh, had the best possible idea for that for the part, and then. Hmm. There's a bit, li- probably a little bit less time this time around, but we're going to work on writing more frequently so that we um, can make up for that. But yeah, I think being able to sort of sit at home and sort of plan everything out I'd write on Guitar Pro, yeah, and sort of using musical theory to to bridge sections together, yeah. just little transitions and things like that. Sometimes they're not heaps noticeable, but they'll mean that a riff transitions to another riff logically. Absolutely, and then people are like oh, cool that flowed rather than it being really jarring.
0: That's Man, it's crazy. I've, I've had very similar conversation to the one we've had to this point just last night with someone who's in a very similar position to yourself and they use musical theory in a very similar manner that you use and it's such an important skill to obtain, isn't it? Like learning a new yep. language, but it's something where... And this is a really good point that you mentioned, where they're just blocks of riffs that these bands seem to patch together in a rehearsal room, and just hope to God the punter can make sense of it. It doesn't work, mm. you know. The way to make sense of music is to spend the kind of time that you've spent on it, because you can tell that you've spent time on it because of the end product, the way it sounds. But diving into musical theory to make sense of things that otherwise would not make sense, because too many—I mean, in the great riffs, you know, in the great hall of riffs in the sky, how many riffs are sort of just lying there by themselves, un, um arranged if you like because people haven't worked out how to sort of yep. join them up together like you have so are you are you uh, say classically trained in, in that sense like from a conservatorium or is it stuff that you've done yourself
1: um i did do jazz guitar at the conservatorium for a couple of years hmm. um and i dropped out but i did two years of that and um it was really useful stuff uh, i probably should have finished that degree but um yeah, I, <laughs> just teaching, I just teach guitar full time now, and I, cool. I didn't end up going back to finish off my last year. But yeah, that that was really useful. For I already knew like my modes and things like that before I went to uni, but learning theory further and like how jazz chord progressions are structured, it's really applicable to all styles. And it meant that I knew how to modulate to a different key if I needed to, or um, <clears throat> yeah, I guess like it really. Impacted a lot of things actually the clean section in amorphous and the chord progression that happens after that was originally written as a modal jazz piece for uni and I sort Sweet. of chucked that into the into the nice. metal song yeah. um, The saxophone solo on consciousness and misery that was a friend from uni that I got on to do that um,
0: Excellent. Yeah, yeah,
1: there's definitely a lot of stuff like the consciousness and misery has got a lot of sort of um, Going between the major and uh, like say G major and G minor for, for mm-hmm. example uh, stuff like that where, I don't know, it's the kind of thing that it, people really know theory, they'll pick up on it, but otherwise it just makes it sound kind of logical, I guess. But then when you write some kind of fat riffs that are more for headbanging, you don't really have to worry about the theory as much. Um, you more just go go by the sort of feel or the, the yeah. sound
0: of it. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but if you don't have that, what you've just we're talking about 30 seconds ago, you know, that understanding of it, it can really, there's no payoff. You understand what I'm saying? So you can go through these very Mm -hmm. intricate bits, but then if those intricate bits don't make sense because you don't have the theory that you've got to back them up and then you arrive at a brutal breakdown, which by itself is a really killer bit, then it loses its impact because you're sort of bored Mm -hmm. with it already. And you can, and, and people who are a bit more experienced like myself, I'm also a musician. So, You know, I listen to it with musicians' ears and I'm sort of trying to put myself into your shoes, for example, and try to understand why you made decisions. When I really deep dive into it, I listen to it with headphones on and and I can really sit down and almost study the music and I try to work out why you made the decisions that you did, and it makes complete sense with your, with your formal background like you do. And also being a guitar teacher I think would really help you as well because you con- you, you're you around it all the time. So you become – you you. there's an intuitive thing that comes about just from your ear as well. So you've got a couple of things going on there, man, that are really working in your favour. So I guess the, the ultimate question is, you know, with the talent that you demonstrated on this album here, mate, I mean, how can you do this thing full-time and take it overseas? Yeah, well
1: um... – I'd I'd love to. Um basically I, I reckon we need to push harder around Australia and really make sure the next album is the next step up, you know, or at least as good and longer. Yeah. a little bit longer and then um you know, maybe we'll be able to partner with a bigger label in, internationally, but yeah. I guess we'll just see see how things go, but we we would love to tour over to Europe because I think um the music probably be pretty well received over there.
0: Um, Agreed, yeah, I'm not yeah. so sure about the States um, You know, you have to be a bit less eclectic I think in order to succeed in the States I think you, by all means, succeed in Europe first Then go to the States, you know But I tell you what, I would have I loved With greatest of respect to the two bands Two or three bands, God, that supported Wolves in the Throne Room And King was one of them who were a good band I know that, they're a great band But there was another band, and they're good too, man But I would have loved to have seen you guys as the primary support on that You guys, that audience, I think, would have dug you guys big time you know, so so is there have you done any of these, you know, when I say major supports, have you done supports to bands like Wolves in the Throne Room just to, to spread the good word?
1: Yeah, we just did a tour with Flesh God Apocalypse. Well Oh you did uh, that one. Yeah, shit. Yeah. I didn't
0: go to that one. Bummer. Yeah.
1: We we only played four of their shows though, so we didn't we didn't do Adelaide or Hobart. Um, we didn't get on those ones. You didn't get but... to do
0: your hometown, that sucks.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think because we played um, because that was at the New Dead Fest, and we played the year before. So often, there's like they don't put on the mm-hmm. <clears throat> the same band two years in a row. So, and then we got the Flesh God support after that. So, yeah, maybe if that happened earlier, we might may have gotten on the Adelaide show. But e- either way, hmm. we just um did uh, support for Thy Art Is Murder in Adelaide as well. So, um, how did the crowd? How did
0: the crowd sorry, how did the crowd receive you there because that's a tough audience that Die art crowd because they're not really um, they're a metal crowd if you know what I'm saying, but they don't get into a lot of other bands, do they those guys the the fans of that band
1: yeah it was it was pretty good because we were on first it was still the room was still filling up when we were playing, but you know mm. we probably had a decent crowd by the end and um, we still sold like three quarters as much merch as we'd sell at the flesh God shows so um it actually went really well. I think cuz we don't look like heaps traditional battle jacket metalhead like yeah. maybe they're more open to us in that crowd even though musically I, I think that's often a, like the the fashion is more different than the music so like if you talk just Thy Art is Murder's music it's basically death metal um with oh like, totally they're a death a metal band death metal, yeah. but then like there's a different sort of uh fashion not just fashion like culture behind the band and the fans that's very different to like your sort of metalheads but Um, I don't think we sort of fit heavily into being like heaps traditional metal head looking people, but a lot of those kind of people still love our bands. So Mm. I don't know, like, but maybe because we got some catchy riffs that people can bang their head to that that kind of crowd enjoyed it as well. Mm. Definitely we got a better reception with Flesh God Apocalypse because it was sort of the more, you know, nerdy tech metal heads came out and um, Mm. that was definitely like a really good audience for us, uh, especially... Like playing Canberra actually was awesome because it's such a small crowd, but they almost fought more match than even Melbourne did. I've heard that, yeah, I've heard
0: that, yeah. yeah. It's um, Gold Coast. Same thing happens down here, mate. On the Gold Coast, if a band goes to uh, plays it, you know, the one of the two venues that are bloody down here, and uh, you know, they tend to go really well because the kids really appreciate, you know, the 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 people that go really appreciate the fact that you've gone out of your way to go to what is effectively a regional centre as Canberra and the Gold Coast are. They might be Mm. major metropolitan areas, but in terms of destination points for bands they ain't it's as simple as that and you see that yeah. but but how do you how do you get those the support then to to flesh god is that something that your manager organized or did you organize i take it you manage the band as well or you have a, a very heavy say in that
1: yeah i guess i base like basically we don't really have an official manager like i take care of a lot of the managerial stuff um and then jade the vocalist does all the social media and um like posting out of merch but That was just through our contacts in EVP. So, because that's that's our record label. So, Mm -hmm. like, they were able to sort of contact Soundworks and organize us getting on the shows there. So, yeah, we still don't have um, a manager, basically. So, we didn't really see it necessary yet, but it might be something we do in the future. But, yeah, that, like, I guess the next step getting on to more shows and tours, like, hopefully, we were good enough on the Flesh God tour that we might. Get some more opportunities
0: coming up, but um yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one, that one is it. I know Dicey reasonably well from Soundworks. He's a bloody good guy actually, mm. and uh, he works his ass off, I've got yeah. to say. And and it's um yeah, I mean, I mean that's really I mean, I know there's um the hardline media guys and there's a couple of others, but but Dicey, I think they they I just noticed, you know, there's Watane that came through with him. I think uh, God, who did Living Colour come through? That wasn't SoundWorks, was it? I don't know. Um, but anyway, he just he did. I did some crewing, crewing with him with Mayhem. That was a really good day. Oh. That day, that was awesome. You know, and um, yeah, man, if that's that's a relationship that if you can foster that, let me tell you, it'll it'll it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile. Just find he's a man of his word. That's the, the main thing. You know, if yeah. he says, if he says he's he gonna... ran the flesh it can. Flash God to and it was awesome. Like it was really
1: just well run. Um, yeah. Excuse me. Just get some water. Yeah. Um, yeah it was just really really well run tour like just um, had an awesome time doing it and there was like no dramas so Hmm. yeah hopefully we get a chance to work with them a little bit more in the future
0: yeah common theme with his stuff mate I've heard that a few times there was no dramas and everything just seemed to flow and that's really unusual in the music industry as you know especially touring I mean when I say that I mean by touring but I just just want to go back Um, I meant to ask this question earlier but did the reception to the album did it meet your expectations because obviously I mean you should be really proud of what you've done here mate so did you did you get a lot of really positive feedback like what I'm giving you
1: yeah yeah like I don't I don't really know what my expectations were um I was just I felt really confident with the album and I feel like if enough people hear it it'll be popular so um from the people that have heard it like it's gone in a lot of people's you know top album lists and things like that so like, I'm pretty stoked with the, with the reception, to be honest. And um, I think, like, if we can push to a, a bigger audience with the next album, like, I hope that then, you know, it'll get in front of more people so they can um, actually hear it. But, yeah, in terms of, like, from where we were before the album and then, you know, getting played on Triple J lots and stuff like that, it was, like, pretty, like a definitely a bit of a surprise. Like, definitely being on board with EVP helped us, with that kind of stuff a lot as well because mm-hmm. I don't know how we would have gotten even to the audience that we reached so far. So is that, uh, it wasn't for
0: that? Is, that a, is it, I don't know much about it, I do, that's where I got the, the email from that had your, your uh, music in it, but are they a traditional record label in so far as they sign you and then give you an advance, that sort of thing, or it doesn't, I know for the most part it doesn't work like that anymore, but can you tell me, not necessarily all of the detail and the arrangement, but what the relationship's like with them?
1: Yeah, it's like a proper record deal, so, mm. um, yeah like we got in an advance, and um
0: sweet that's yeah. thats good yeah, but
1: so they're basically investing in the bands rather yeah. than being the other way around, so uh yeah, it seemed like a good idea to us um to to sign with them, and I guess they've they've got contacts with bigger labels, so hmm. uh if if the next album's impressive enough, maybe we can you know uh, expand out license it overseas, but yeah i don't don't really know how much I can talk about that stuff because I don't know what's gonna happen, but yeah, that's fair it's enough. been it's been pretty good. Yeah. And
0: yeah the yeah, relationship like works it yeah, it works, and you're happy with it. That's all you can ever hope for in the bloody industry mate yeah it's it's really unusual yeah. to hear a band get in advance. I've got to tell you mate, so they they must think a lot of you. you know, I mean, a lot of labels these days effectively act as licensing li and d- license and distribution uh that's really all they're doing. The band usually pays for everything and and uh you know a lot of bands like that because they've been burnt in the past too with labels, so they'd rather have almost complete control but at least mate to your point mate if they're investing in you as a band yeah i mean they've obviously got an idea about where the band's going to head otherwise they wouldn't be in business you know oh yeah they're planning to make money from you and so be it you know they need that to survive but you know um the the state of heavy metal in Australia. I ask you this: I haven't asked this question in, in a long time, actually, of an Australian uh, artist, and feel free to be as frank or otherwise as you want. But I actually think it's really good. I think we—I don't know what happened in about 2016 or 17, but I felt it just started to improve. You know, when Diata's murder really started to make waves internationally, and Parkway these days are basically a headline European act. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean they're like a number one, like headline. You know, Donington there's Donnington or whatever it's called these days, download, and then underneath it says Buddy, um, you know, their their logo, that sort of thing. But do you echo my sentiments on the quality of Australian music that's out there these days? Because I actually think it might be the strongest ever in my lifetime, what's going on at the moment.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. Like, I don't listen to that many bands, to be honest. Like, so I am I'm, I'm definitely wouldn't be as knowledgeable as yourself with, you know, the grand scheme of things definitely you've got bands like Parkway and Die Art who are smashing it and I do see a lot on the internet people comment like oh where do um why are there so many sick bands in Australia like especially in yeah. bands and um I guess it's surprising to people because we've got the smaller population hmm. um so yeah there's definitely like some really good quality in, in all the local scenes as well so um yeah, yeah I agree cold. with you. I agree with yeah. you on
0: that. I know I've, Hope Drone's a band that I was trying to think of before. I went down to Sydney to watch Drapana Rings Ritual and, you know, the one-man show guy and uh I caught up with... Uh, his name's Thomas, so I had a good chat to him down there. But the bands that were on before him, there was Empress and Hope Drone. And they were both fantastic, mate. I actually went down there just... You know, typical, I mean, I was pretty, you know, it had the worst turbulence of my entire life driving, flying down. I thought we were going to die, to be honest with you. We made two, no, one failed, one aborted landing attempt in Sydney Airport. My daughter's six and she's sitting next to me vomiting her guts out and everybody around her was just sort of death riding. So I had a few stiff cheeks when I got there, believe me, and so I just sort of hung around in Crowbar's atrium or the bar area and I thought I'd go and mosey on in and check out this band that I could hear and it was Empress and they were playing on a really small stage in front of about, 30 or 40 people but they did such a great job and then hope drone got up and just tore everybody's head off and i thought shit i need to get out a little bit more because i get sent all of this stuff and i can hear it over the mp3 right or the iphone or what have you but there's nothing like the campfire live music i call it the campfire you know it's a way we exchange energy you know and just the quality of the bands to your point like these are two bands that are effectively local bands but the quality of Forget about the production for a minute, but the quality if you don't have the quality on stage, the musicianship, the tightness, the 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 musical I call it musical communication. You know, the bass drums on point with where the where the offbeat is on the you know on the bass, you know, it's a doot doot, you yeah. know, on the bass, you know, bang. If you don't get that shit right, it doesn't work. But all of these bands had it down pat. And I can tell you I've seen heaps of local bands, say fifteen years ago when I was still playing in the local scene. Um that were bloody awful to be honest with you, that weren't rehearsed and just got a gig because they knew somebody that was running the venue or what have you. But I just think the quality of the the musicians these days is just so high that when I hear an album like Nocturnal Gates from you, mate, it just, you know, it just sort of drives the point home, mate, that there's all these wonderful bands out. And for you guys to stand out above all of them Because I think those bands that I mentioned, they've all had albums out this year. I'm pretty sure I've got them all here. Um, But for you guys to stand out above that, you know, if you were sort of to rewind 15 years ago, you guys would have been almost megastars, you know, picked up for Ozfest or what have you. But because of the Australian scene these days, it's really sort of hard to stand out because there's so much great music, you know, and that's a positive and a negative. But I've I've also thought that the Australian, like you guys and a few other bands, um, Neoblivascaris or what have you, could organise a bit of a package and, um, and go, go to Europe, you know, just go on a 17-date. And when I say just, you know, I know 17 dates is a lot of bloody dates. But sorry, my phone's beeping off on me here. Um, But um, there's bands, uh, Lagerstein. I don't know whether you heard of Lagerstein from Brisbane. Here. Yeah, yeah. Those guys organize their own European tours. And I've spoken to them all about it. Uh, Joel, I think, is the guy's name uh, in the band, who, who does a superb guy, man, really cool guy. And just the way he explained it was like, I could be wrong here. I'm going off my memory here, so please don't quote me. Anybody listening in, but I think he said something like, basically, they start the tour and they basically book it as they're going. Now I don't know That's how, right. yeah, I don't know how that <laughs> works in, logistically, but he's saying, yeah, we just do it, and we just play wherever we can. But they've got a huge, not a huge following, so I shouldn't overstate the case. But a following, a decent following in um, in in Europe because of that. So I think I think there's opportunities there, but you know, you got to have all of your ducks in a row too, from the perspective that you know you got to have a job that you can potentially come back to and not likely everybody in your band works as well so i think i think for australian bands it's it's triple as hard as it is from someone from europe or the states to really make an impact over there because
1: well perhaps the ones that do well like and get overseas they have to be really good to you know i guess even just be confident enough in their own material to hmm. invest all the money that it, would, it takes to tour at first you know you might not be profiting and um yeah to Because it's so we're so much further away. Maybe because there's less people here as well. There's like less audience to captivate. So we all have to try really hard to write the best possible music we can. Hmm. Whereas in Europe, you know, you could like I don't know what the local scene quality is like in the rest of the world, but I think maybe musicians in general are just getting much better because there's more education available than there used to be. Like um,
0: YouTube and all the rest of it. Yeah, internet and all
1: of that. You can. There's a lot more shredders and people that are really good guitarists and things like that, tight type musicians. But um, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a challenge. Like you do an Aussie tour and you have to travel so far and either you drive for ages to go to the yeah. next city. That sucks. You'll spend lots on flights. So um, maybe maybe it just means the very best bands, are the ones that that make it, and that's why the quality's high. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're onto something there. I used to think it was who, what. It used to be, in my view, only in my opinion, uh, who you knew and not what you know in terms of your quality. But I think these days it's reversed and you've actually genuinely got to be a bloody good band in order to pull it off, you know, like an Airborne, you know, what those guys have been able to do, you know, just like a no bullshit. Whatever you're doing, do it to the very best, like, not just the best in Australia, but world class standards like what Airborne have done. I don't even like their music, to be honest with you. I'm not a massive ACDC fan at all, but that, that style of music really appeals to the Germans and the French and the English. And they've mm. got a big career off the back of that. And they're just doubled down. And there's probably no sweatier, balls to the wall rock and roll band out there than Airborne at the moment. They just, well, that's my take on it. You know, they just decided to be the best in their class effectively. And I think it it almost as an australian band you've really got to be that way i think otherwise if you just sort of you know maybe not having a good gig or what have you i think every gig when you when you're doing what you guys are doing it's just got to be on point Mm -hmm. otherwise you're going to lose lose the attention of someone potentially important in the audience or what have you
1: yeah yeah it's like it's tough like the the techie sort of music we do it's like every show you're just stressing out like i'm gonna get that and um so, yeah, partly why, like, sometimes when I'm writing stuff, it's like, okay, I need to have some breather moments so when we're playing live, you know, it's not too stressful the whole time. So, sorry, I, I forgot what the um what we were originally just talking about.
0: Oh, I just stated... totally it. had a mental health. No, it's all right. State and quality of Australia, heavy metal in Australia. And I just think you guys are awesome. such a... Yeah. yeah, I just think you guys are such a really good example of a band that effectively, you know, of course you haven't come from nowhere, but you know what I mean. You arrive in my email as an mp3 that i can download i download it and holy shit this is awesome you know and it's just it's happening often but i just think what you guys are doing which is what i i I don't do this that often i got to tell you reach out to an australian artist in particular because i mean i'll share this with you as i've shared it with people before but i find when i interview some australian artists that they can be quite arrogant to be honest with you and metal artists I'm talking about, the indie artists are fine, but the metal artists are just then defined have a bit of an ego about things. And I'm not getting that from you at all. You know, you're very humble about this, you know, and, and it's, um, I don't know why that is too sometimes, you know, that that, that happens, but it's, and it's usually those bands that I, I listen to. And I think that there probably needs to be some work done on the music itself that have yeah. that ego, but you don't have that ego and you've got a killer release that, man, if, if Chuck, I mean, I'm even prepared to say that if Chuck was, God bless him, if he was still around, and if he heard this, man, he'd really approve of what you guys have done here. This is exactly what he was talking about. Let the, let the metal flow. It's a combination of you know, you got everything going on in there. You know, the the tech, the prog, the black. It's all there, man. And, and it's it's like a it's like a um, you're a crucible of all of the best influences and in music of the last sort of heavy metal of the last sort of twenty five years or so. You know, that's a big compliment. Yeah, and yeah, I'm a huge fan of <clears throat> huge fan of Chalk and Death.
1: And sorry, got a bit of a throat, got a bit that's of a cold it. at the
0: moment. No, you're right. Actually, I'm just going. to... Where is he? John's just messaged me. I'll just um, message him a bit later. All good. No worries. Um, yeah, look, it's. I mean, I think you've done a magnificent job with this album, brother. I truly mean that, you know. And and you've you've got a really good cast of musicians around you, and you know, it sounds like they can follow instructions. And I think that's the right way of describing it because bands need to be a benevolent dictatorship; otherwise, they fall apart. You know, if they're too democratic and everybody wants to have an idea and that's kind of partly advice i'd like to impart to because i want i want to keep listening to music that you make you know you know if you've got ideas yeah, that you don't think are the quality that you can come up with mate don't let them through
1: well no no one's ego is too big in the band so um like you have to have a certain amount of ego to be confident in what you're doing but um like you, you know, the corey the other guitarist is, is he's in a band called decidia and he's really talented and like the probably the only guy that could have come into the band and like, you know, bring it up the next level with all the shreddy techy stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm happy for his contributions to come into the band. Like I'm still going to be, I'll still be just as tough on, you know, my, my own ideas as I am on other people's ideas. But yeah. um, I think, I think it's, yes, it's not necessarily like a dictatorship, but it's like, okay, cool. Here's a song that I wrote. And then if you have good musicians who like listen to it and say, Oh yeah, what you've written there actually works really well maybe i'll chuck in my own little like little idea here and then you will discuss parts like that but mm. but generally i think i don't know if i have the song written well enough on the start and the musicians you work with aren't don't have too big egos they'll just say oh cool i, I like this they'll put their own little spin on it and then mm. it's all good um you can sometimes if there's too many people with strong ideas that have differing ideas then oh, it doesn't yeah, work, it doesn't really work. So, yeah, yeah. but then if if the other people aren't invested in it at all and they're only sort of taking orders, then, you know, there might be less, they might think, well, why am I even, you know, doing this, you know what I mean? And then Mm. you probably end up like, I don't want to be like Chuck who went through so many band members, but I don't know what went on there, but I'm really happy with the lineup that we have at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I guess it's finding a a balance between all those things. It just helps that everyone in the band, like, you know, really nice and no one's got like issues and ego problems yeah but, well you, you look yeah. like
0: you look like a nice bunch of guys you can't judge a book by its cover you know what i mean i mean when you look at a band you go they look like people i'd like to have a beer with you know that there's that sort of thing going on with you guys and your bass player did did you play the bass on the album or did your bass player do that for you
1: uh both so i played the bass on purgatorium and the abstract venom that's the and-
0: really techie stuff isn't it that i can hear you know that you're doing a lot of the triplets and all the rest of it
1: yeah, Abstract Venom's probably the most technical one. Um and then yeah, Purgatorium as well. That was <clears throat> that's because she was really busy doing a music therapy masters, which she had to do in Melbourne, so she was she's had a big year, so mm-hmm. didn't have like enough time to practice and get down the techie stuff when we were recording it. She did consciousness consciousness of misery, which is pretty techie, but um yeah, those songs like it works well having some big picked bass on there as well, I guess. Mm. But yeah, so that was a team effort on the bass. We used the same bass and same strings and all of that. So, (laughs) uh,
0: yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. It's um, I've done quite a bit of recording in the past, and um, I remember I worked with Richie, you know, Richie Norton from Superheist. I did some work with him back in the day, and I said doing this years ago, like as I say, fifteen years ago or whatever. But. I said, tell me, who, who do you have the biggest problems with? Which musician? He goes, bass players, bloody bass players, because I'm a, a bass player, as I was saying. I was really yeah, interested yeah. in that because I sort of thought we had the easiest part, but it's actually because the track is, the bass track is boom, but so thick, when you're off point, like what I was saying before, when you're not getting it right on the bass drum, in between the tom and the bass drum, it really pulls the whole recording out. as no doubt you're aware as you've, you, Buddy recorded yeah. this album. So you've really got to be on point with the bass playing. I'm a big
1: Nazi with all those kind of things, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I will, she, Like Georgina, the, she went to – I met her at uni as well. So she, she's she got a degree in jazz bass. She's not originally a, a metal player. She's more of a rock player who did jazz at uni. And mm. then now she just plays um, tech death. But, um, yeah, so she she understands all of that. And um, we tried really hard with the bass to – Play really hard, so make it really aggressive. You might not be able to necessarily hear really aggressive bass because we didn't make it that usual clanky tone
0: mm.
1: that you hear these days. Where I feel like a lot of people will play the bass really too soft, and then they'll like crank up yes. the highs, on the, and then yeah. you just hear this clanky sound, and you don't really hear the punch. So like we tried really hard to, um, you know, really thump the strings and get the tone that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's killer, mate. Well, the, the, you're both to be commended for the job you did on it because it's very melodic, um, but it works at the same time. You're not sort of overplaying. You know, it's a bit like, um, very different, but the work that the great Bob Daisley, the Australian bass player that basically gave Ozzy his career after, after he left Black Sabbath, you know, the work that he did, which is that I always believe with bass playing that you should actually be able to isolate it and it should be melodic by itself. In other words, if you listen back to it, particularly in a band like what you're doing, like Iron Maiden or what have you, you know, if you're just doing what... I can't even remember the bass player from Judas Priest's name. To be Ian Hill, there you go, or Cliff Williams from AC/DC. To me, there's no funk in that, you know, and of course, it's not meant to be, but you know, it's got to have swagger, and the bass gives it that, and that's what you guys have got through your music. And and I don't people who don't understand music won't won't get that's one of the really appealing characteristics of what you're doing. Is is that everybody, including the bass, is doing its job. It's pulling its own wave. It's adding its own little piece to the melody, you know. And and, and I think yeah. that um. There's a band, uh, yeah, Neo, their former bass player, he has a band called Vipassio, I think, and I think they kind of did a good job with that, but it was was a bit too full-on orally, I've got to say. Um, You listen to it, it's like, whoa, there's too many ideas coming at me here all at once. But I think that's the whole idea of the band. So you know they're not trying to sort of get onto Triple M anytime soon. In other words, you know. So yeah, yeah. Mm. So mate, what's what's next steps for you? Is uh, you you're looking to say get straight onto the treadmill again in terms of writing a new album, or you're going to try and line up a tour somewhere?
1: Uh, both. Well, like already, you know. It's actually, I spent all of today writing a new song or like demoing a new song. So it's mm. it's sort of the balls rolling with that. Like heaps of new ideas for writing like sort of connecting to what we were talking about earlier. It's the easiest parts coming up with good riffs, which is still not easy, but they sort of come to you sometimes. You're like, Oh cool. I just made a a new riff, but putting them together into a a good song is like really hard and it takes some time. So Hmm. pretty much over the year, I've just been collecting riffs and ideas and um, one song has been totally formed now basically. And the rest it's just like, Oh Yeah. They're not done yet, but there's lots of ideas there. So um, yeah, the writing's underway. A lot of the writing on the on Nocturnal Gates was done like, you know, a fair few years before the album was released because it took so long to get the band's line up together and all of that. So hmm. I was already as soon as already before we released Nocturnal Gates was starting to write some new stuff. So
0: Killer. Yeah, is it in a that's similar underway. vein? Similar vein to what you've got on Nocturnal Gates.
1: Yeah, yeah. We'll see how it sounds in the end. Um, I was worried with Nocturnal Gates that the songs were too different. And then when it's all put together with the same musicians and the mixing and mastering, it ends up being kind of cohesive. So
0: Hmm.
1: it should be. Like there's a lot of songs so far that – a lot of riffs, should I say, that have sort of melodic, techie elements. And then there's also um, just just big fat riffs as well. Hmm. Um, Trying to – maybe even push like we'll see how it turns out but push it so it's like even more technical in some parts but even simpler and heavier in other parts so it really contrasts because yeah. i find a lot of tech bands actually just only tech the whole time and then you get a bit like it's easy to get bored sometimes oh, it's, it's I, terrible. I prefer the yeah. tech bands that are more melodic because yeah. it's something else to latch on to but yeah I, I thought well why not have some really techy parts and then it goes to a really simple kind of like, dumb sounding riff, not dumb, but you know what I mean. Just like, uh, I know what you're saying, caveman, <laughs> caveman's a better word, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's maybe um, some
0: of that. yeah, it's um, look, I'd say, you know, David Vincent's new band, I'm a, one of the world's biggest Morbid Angel fans, but his new uh, outfit, Ultimas, who's got Flo Monier, I think his name is from um, uh, Cryptopsy on the drums. Holy shit. I mean, I love a lot of tech stuff. And David Vincent's like the rock star, the only genuine rock star of death metal around, I think. But it's just too much, brother. You know, I'm listening to it. It's like, I was getting used to David being a country singer. And I love David too. If you ever hear this, you know, there's no disrespect to the man at all. But it's just exactly what you're saying. I'm interpreting it from when I listen to his stuff. Because with Ultimas, it's just, I listen to it, It's like, oh shit, just lay off the, heavy percussion just for a little bit let it groove david's voice next to trey's guitar is one of the most glorious things in metal of all time you know yeah i agree and and i mean if you if caesar's palace or uh god of emptiness you know that slow brooding stuff where just trey's yeah. li- like basically van halen in that shit you know they're
1: my biggest um, death metal influence for sure
0: sweet you know i had like a chat talking to- about
1: pure death metal like and and death, but I don't really think of them as like heaps like death metal. I'm know? with they're, you. They're yeah. Possibly. They're
0: called death, but they're not really a straight up death metal band. There's all these other things that go on in there. Yeah. I, I think it's Well of-
1: maybe the early stuff, but the later stuff's more like progressive techie death metal. I don't know. Who cares anyway? Like it's it's just good music. Yeah. Um but yeah, more of an angel like what I think of when I think of death metal pretty much
0: well i had a chat to trey's mother actually i reached out to her because she's quite active on the net you know and um she's just a lovely lady you know she gave me all of the insight that i wanted out of uh how trey came to be who he is these days you know which is in my view up there with these there's three there's trey or four okay chuck trey van halen and vito brada from white lion you know and and those four in terms of rock guitarists i'll just call trey a rock guitarist who's better but shit, I mean, they pretty much, Trey pretty much invented modern death metal, you know, in terms of how we're listening to it now, because Chuck was a bit different, as I say. He was, he had more of the heavy metal King Diamond, Andy LaRoque thing going on. There's a lot of melody in that. But in terms of brutal, grinding, no bullshit you know, kick it out of the universe, death metal. That's Trey, man. I mean, that's his guitar playing, you know, from abominations of desolation, altars of madness right the way through. And um, it, it, I could hear that in your playing mate, actually, I could hear it. That's why I mentioned Morbid Angel, because I can hear that appreciation for what Trey's done. And I just think I, 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 I he doesn't do interviews, as we know. I would love to have a chat to him um, because I just want to understand where his inspiration comes from, because he's, he's written three albums that can't be fucked with. You know, the first three yeah. albums from those guys, Domination, you know, there were some bits on that that I think just sort of you could... Oh, I love... My favourite album from them, by the way, is Formulas Fatal to the Flesh. Um, yeah, interesting. I yeah. Oh, just... the just
1: the, say what well, mine is. <laughs> well, the alters of madness, actually.
0: <laughs> well, I've, I think I wore that out, to be honest, but I just I think that's the problem is a bit like your favorite albums, you wear them out, then you can't listen to them anymore. Or well, I find that the only time I can listen to them is when I'm halfway drunk. To be honest with you, you know, because they sort of bring me back to that moment in time, back in the '90s when I first heard them. Um, but formulas I got into a bit later actually, because I dismissed it when it first came out. But I got into it a bit later on, and fuck, I'm glad I did because uh, you know, nothing is not is probably the heaviest track ever recorded, in my view. You know, it's just brutal. I don't know how he did it. That's what I'm saying. I just love to say, what were you thinking? Because nobody's done this before, and it's just—I mean—the air shakes when that riff comes on. You know, when it changes pitch and and it it, it changes key. It's it's just—I just feel like as though the air around me, the very molecules themselves, start shifting in a different direction. It's that powerful. But he's yeah, almost,
1: it'd be interesting to know hey
0: he's almost like a he's he's like a like a deity, well, I'm not trying to be weird here, but it's almost he's such a he's such an individual guy, right? I know that from yeah, talking yeah. to his mum. He's a very different guy. And also, he's got a secret YouTube channel, which I won't mention on here. I'll tell you afterwards where it is, um, where he broadcasts a lot of the stuff that he gets into. But what I, what I discovered through talking to Trey's mum was that he actually has Asperger's. And my, my brother-in-law has what we suspect is Asperger's too. And I'm not saying he's anything like Trey, of course, but it makes a lot of sense when you dive into how... Asperger's manifests, if you like, um, and the way Trey is, and the like, and why he won't do interviews now. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, but I mean, yeah, as I say, I, I could. That's why I mentioned Death, Cynic, Nile, and, and Morbid Man, because I could hear it in your playing, and I don't think you can get better than that. I really don't think that there are other bands, of course. But I mean, therefore are for that. As a guitarist, man, if you if you are inspired and influenced by those guys, man, you're just going to continue to churn out just almighty riffs.
1: Yeah, well, I, I try to. Like, I think I get really picky with what I listen to. So I feel like whatever I listen to starts getting stuck in my head as well. And if I've been listening to more mediocre sounding music, I'll start writing worse riffs. So I try to only listen to stuff that I really like. Um, and, you know, it would be like, oh, I wish I wrote that riff myself. You know, I'll listen to that kind of stuff. So all those old bands. And there's yeah, there's heaps of bands that I'd often like I'll get influenced by a band and I might only like a few of their songs as well. Hmm. Like, uh, actually, Satyricon are a good example. Um, Didn't necessarily get influenced by it, but the song Mother North is probably my favourite black metal song. And I haven't gotten that much into any of their other songs for some reason at this point. I just think that that one's just so good. Um, So sometimes I'll be influenced by just particular songs or pieces of music, and I think, oh, that's really powerful sounding. Maybe I want to do something like that. But you can't be too conscious when you're writing riffs either, I think, because you just end up ripping people off. So. Yeah, you, I'm not really thinking about anything when writing a riff. That's sort of you just got to have some energy and like you know if you've had enough good listening that seeped into your your mind and then you know you're feeling like playing. Like sometimes you just come up with a riff you're like oh cool I like the sound of that and then yeah so definitely like it's sort of like I'm not consciously being like oh I'm gonna make a riff that's like that band because it's it's always in my head. And it's just influences. What that internal voice, that internal musical voice, is is obviously shaped by all those bands. So, um, yeah, occasionally I'll think, "Oh, cool, I wrote a sick riff," and then it sounds heaps like, you know, one of those bands' riffs. And I think, oh, you know, I got to chuck that one out. But
0: yeah, 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 it's a good I way of describing it. it. Yeah, and I think you're very, you're from the sounds of things, and I've made this point a few times with really gifted musicians like yourself. Like, you, you seem to be very good at what I call getting out of your own way. In other words, just letting it flow. You know, you're connected to this source that gives you this inspiration, wherever it comes from God or what have you. And you just, you just let it flow through you, man, through to the strings. And you've got these marvelous songs to account for through it. Is that, is that, you know, do you, do you sort of see it as in that way? Some of your best stuff you've written, you sort of think, where the hell did that come from? In
1: terms of like riffs? Yes. So, you know, riffs will just sort of flow from, I don't know where they come from somewhere hmm. in your subconscious or whatever, but, You can't, um, I don't think you can end up with a composition that way. So sometimes you'll have a really good riff and you're like, shit, I don't know where to put this. And it'll be sitting there for a while. Like I've got a few of those. So I think you've got to have that sort of, you don't want to be thinking at all when you're making new riffs. And it's just like a flow state. Um, And then, when it comes to arranging the riffs, you have to be a bit more conscious and thinking about things. Although sometimes, if I like, if I have a riff and I know I need another idea, I'll just keep jamming that first riff, and then sometimes something will come to me to play the next section. But usually, it doesn't. So, uh, like you know, probably ninety-five percent of the writing sessions are, are fails where like I don't come up with anything new. But mm. I'll just continually jam the new stuff and hope that a new section comes to me. So then. Yeah, and then to make it all into one good package, you have to sort of be a bit more conscious and think, okay, I'm going to do this transition here, and um, tidy it all up. And uh, yeah, but definitely, definitely, you can't. I don't think you can force new songs. But some people say, "I'll write a new riff every day," but I, like, I don't know. It's, I think it's good just to be in songwriting mode all the time and open to writing new new songs and make some time for it. But then you just have to wait for a good
0: riff to come out sometimes. Yeah, you've got to be authentic too and that's what I think you're saying is that like if you're forcing it then it's going to sound like shit and yeah. I, I hear the bands where they release really sort of, some bands have this idea that you've got to have an album out. Corner, a good example of this, okay? For a while there they had an, had an idea they had to have an album out every year and uh, I've never really been a fan of the band I must confess but I respect every musician who's up there on stage doing it. You're doing it so I respect you, you know, it's just how it is. But... Um, I saw them at Download in... When was it? Two years ago? I think in Melbourne. You know, the one that was just in Melbourne. and, and Yeah, yeah. They're a powerful live band. There's no doubt about it, man. But the riffs are shit. You know, like, they're just this... Uh, 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 you know, they're just... I don't know. You know, they're, they're not like they just seem really overly simplified or something like, and and some of the, tra- and I know they've released, I know they've gone for whole periods for years where they haven't released an album, but it seems like when they release albums, they tend to come in clusters like they did in the late 90s with them and into the early 2000s. And um, you can't do that. You've really got let to the, let them marinate a little bit, I think. And be in a good headspace too, this whole idea that artists and musicians can be, depressed and upset and having a shit life and create great art that's bullshit that's just a romantic notion you know you've got to be feeling good about life you know and being a fairly happy place i think you know that, that's my view do you, do you share that view as well on that point
1: um yeah i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure like it's sometimes you get inspirational ideas when you're feeling a certain way but well if you're depressed for example you're not really feeling motivated to do anything so i don't think Good stuff's ne- necessarily written when you're feeling like that but maybe afterwards if, if you had a rough time you can like put it into music mm. when you're in a better headspace um but yeah generally just being a, like sometimes the best music's written if i'm got ai i like having a day off and then having a coffee in the morning and then not eating till lunch and then it's just like cool i'm fresh and then
0: yeah i'm um, hearing you
1: definitely more good ideas come about when you're like you know feeling good and, and and alert and you're not too too tired but then sometimes you come up with some really cool things when you've been feeling it could be any range of emotions i guess it just if you're mm. too stuck in like you know if you're taking drugs all the time or you're mentally ill like i don't think it's very productive at all like you might come up with some cool ideas but then they might amount to nothing cuz you don't have the motivation to organize them into a song mm. so yeah I don't know i think it I think it varies sometimes if I feel like I'm in a too good a headspace and I'm <clears throat> really organized and sort of working hard, then I might be feeling less creative as well so mm-hmm. It's a t- tough one to answer,
0: actually. Yeah, it's a, it is a tough one, from from the especially about drugs, because, I mean, if it wasn't for LSD, you know, the music that the Beatles, Pink Floyd, mm. uh, the Beatles and Pink Floyd wrote Led Zeppelin, yeah. uh, you wouldn't have the music. That's just a goddamn fact. But LSD back then is very different to the shit you get now, I understand, you know. I mean, I think it's coming back around, and there are a lot of vendors in the States, because a lot of it's being legalised or in the pathway to being legalized in the States. I know there's a lot of these vendors on Twitter that are popping up, you know, that are really yeah. trying to do the right thing and give people high quality product. That is what it is, what the label says. But a lot of other drugs these days, whether it be cocaine and what have you, and I mean, the bands that are doing that shit, mate, fuck, they're not even taking cocaine. They're taking speed cut with bloody, I don't know, light globes, you know, crushed up yeah, light go globes ahead. a lot of the time. And, and I, I don't, I don't. I mean, I've got kids and mates, so this, it'd be lunacy and suicide for me to do anything like that. But, but I, I think you know, I know that the Slayer guys have sort of said in passing, or maybe they didn't say it. Somebody around them said that if it wasn't for speed, that they wouldn't have gotten as fast as they did on um, um, uh, "Raining Blood," for example. And you can yeah, hear yeah. how fast that album is for the time. Uh, that's incredibly fast. I mean, that that album would stand out today if it was released. Yet alone back then. But I think I think it depends on the person, obviously. It goes without saying. It depends on the person. It depends on the style of music. And it depends what's going on around the world as well, musically speaking as well. The effectiveness of drugs, I think. And they definitely, like the guys in Tool were pretty open about taking some shit early on. And they said that drugs mm. are, that's what our band name is. It's like drugs are a tool. They'll just, you know, if you use them the right way, they'll get you to where you need to go. But if you're just a dickhead about it and you're looking to escape, escapism's the bad bit, you know, because what yeah. goes up must come down and that's where you see addiction and all sorts of other things. I think drugs are a means to an end for a creative person. And I think as soon as it stops being that, watch out. That's when the problems start to hit. Yeah. I
1: think that can be an occasional tool to like, you know, change your mindset or you might, you know, yeah, I think it's, it's what I was referring to would say if you're regularly using drugs or you just, you're just, you're not in a productive state, it's going to be hard to get shit done and, and write an album, but like mm. I think yeah definitely certain experiences can be sort of inspiring towards music, but like if you keep chasing that um, or if maybe people think they can only write good music if they're high or something, and then um, that's no good because that'll probably stop working so
0: mm.
1: yeah, yeah, I think it's whether it's even just drugs or just having like just ex- just random experiences in life that are intense. Can be good for writing music. <clears throat> I think myself, like, I might seem a bit tired now, but I'm naturally fairly hyperactive. And if I just have a coffee in the morning on an empty <laughs> stomach, I'm, like, ready to yeah. write hit and riffs. And um, I've been, like, staring at the computer screen doing that all day. So I'm, like, <clears throat> sounding a bit more tired now. But, yeah, I think you've got to have a bit of natural energy to sort of be productive and get a lot of stuff done. And if you're too tired or you're whacked out or something, like you know you might have some cool ideas, but unless yeah unless you've got someone to sort of pick up the pieces and organize your life, it's going to be hard like maybe if you're a famous muso and you can just get higher more, and then you've got managers that will like take you to to your shows and <laughs> By the way, you brought up Zeppelin, they're probably my favorite band of all time.
0: Shit, is that right? I, 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 now I'm going to listen for that now. I'm usually pretty good at picking up on these things, so I'll have a listen for it now, yeah. I'm a bit I'm a bit conflicted over Zeppelin because most of the musicians I know that really love Zeppelin in terms of ones that I've played with, they've also loved the ACDC thing, and as a bass player, that's just tough. It's tough work. So I love Zepp myself. Like, I've got the Mothership on vinyl, yeah. you know, the collection on vinyl, but I just, yeah, I've just noticed, especially particularly drummers who love Led Zeppelin, they're so loud. Him and uh, John Bonham and Keith Moon, as soon as the drummer says they're influenced by them, I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Yeah, I love
1: John Bonham's drums, but I, I don't think he necessarily played really hard the whole time, but maybe he did. I wasn't there. But, yeah, I think they're like ACDC. I, I never really got into ACDC apart from the Bob Scott era. I definitely like some mm. stuff from that era. But um, Zeppelin to me on another Level with just you know the right way they write epic songs. I don't know if it would show up in our music necessarily. It's more, you know, probably somewhere, but it's more so the way they approach things. Like you've got the classic songs like Stairway or No Quarter or just long songs where they told a story or they showed that you can be a cohesive band but play an album where you have four different genres on the album, but it still sounds good. And I felt like that with. Not with nocturnal gates everything's mixed and mastered and recorded kind of the same so it sounds more similar each song than a zeppelin album would but not trying to compare us to zeppelin but um (laughs) the if you took say amorphous like that's a really death sounding song and then you've got purgatorium like there could be two different bands with what the actual you know the notes that we're playing are so and different sections you know you, you could. It could easily be different bands, perhaps. So that's something I was worried about. But then I thought, well, hey, Zeppelin would have, like, really different songs. Yeah, Bronner
0: Stomp. Yeah. It just
1: just means it's more interesting to listen to, perhaps, rather than, like, I struggle to sit through a lot of albums because it's more just probably me, you know, getting bored too easily. But it's like, oh, cool, this sounds good. But the next song will sound, like, pretty similar to the last one. And then I'll make it, like, a quarter way or halfway through the album. And then want to hear something else but with zeppelin i'm always just i'm with it's, it's you yeah. I mean, Same with O-Peth as well just to throw another one that's another huge influence but o- yes yeah, opeth
0: no opeth effect did you say opeth yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've spoken to Frederick a couple of times actually and apart from being a oh, bloody bloody good bloke, he's an excellent guitarist. He reminds me of Eric Clapton and we had a good chat about Eric Clapton and um there's another band called uh, Avatarium with Marcus Jadel. He's outstanding as a guitarist. He's like a conglomeration of, you know, Leslie West, Clapton, Gary Moore. You know, these are guys that are so melodic and they just They're so underrated, I think, as rock god guitarists, these guys. And Marcus has just taken it. And Frederick does something very similar as well. And I missed Opeth. I had to, mate. I've been working at the Gold Coast Bulletin, and so I haven't been able to sort of get out to gigs and stuff. But they're the one band I really want to see that I haven't seen yet, I've got to say. And I love the direction they're going in. Let me tell you, like, a lot of fans are, you know, it's not death metal or whatever. It's like, those guys were never death metal. They just borrowed death metal for a bit. And they've always been a prog band who used death metal at the time and now they're just evolving into I think what they always were going to, which is a which is basically a two thousand and nineteen and twenty version of Rush. I think mm. that's where they're headed. Yeah.
1: I, I honestly don't get into their new stuff that much, but I really love their Heritage album for, for some reason. And then after Brilliant. that yeah. <clears throat> it's not that I don't like the fact that they're doing what they're doing, like I don't I don't care. It's like you've got to do what you you've got to be true to yourself as an artist and mm. write what you want to write. But Perhaps it's just their their earlier stuff really hit the mark with me. Um, well, I can understand why they, yeah. the more blackened sound in there. So for me, it's just my taste. Really, mm. I got into those albums, but I have seen them live twice, and they were really good. So, uh, but to me, they're more of like a uh, album at home listening kind of band, just chilling out. Absolutely,
0: um, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if I'm if I you know uh, want to sort of chill out or what have you, and and I'm and I feel like going, you know, just it's late at night, the kids are asleep um i'll just stick that on in the background man and it's just they're just such a great band for that tool are good for that too that new album fear inoculum um you know a lot of the edgelords out there are hating on tool at the moment but fuck that that's a great album man that one I love to, check to, that,
1: to be honest.
0: yeah oh look you won't it's it's um don't read don't get don't like don't read facebook and twitter about it don't bother you know because it's fairly universally disparaging um but it's not; it's not necessary. They've they've not lost what they had, tool. You know, they've just taken a long time to make the, the they make the music and probably some other stuff was going. God knows what else is going on with them. But they're back, man, and um, I can't wait to see them live. Actually, I, I've I've seen them live before, and I generally don't want to see. Like I've seen Iron Maiden once, and for me, I'm not one of those fanboys that wants to go and see a band every time they come out. To be honest, I just want to see a band once, and then I'm good. Just that memory. I like to have that memory. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, Tool, I wouldn't mind seeing them again, to be honest. They're just one of those bands that maybe it's just my 90s roots, mate, coming through with that. Maybe, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, man, so look, for people who want to want to find your music, you've got a Facebook page, I know that, because that's how we've communicated. But I'm really keen to let people know how they can purchase physical copy to, to support you guys financially like that. So tell a listener how they can find you guys and purchase merch and co- copies of the album.
1: Um, yeah, there's a fair few places like there's obviously our, ba- <clears throat> our band camp, and then there's the EVP recordings band camp. And there's also we. It, the album got distributed through, um, well, Rocket did it through, I think, Nerve Gas. So okay. it's a JP Hi Fi. Um, if you just Google it, it comes up. There's even eBay stores that are selling it. Like, they must be like eBay stores for like real. Record stores or something, but yeah, literally, if you Google the album, like it will come up somewhere. Hmm. So it's been distributed pretty well. And yeah, the physicals through our band camp, uh, we're running pretty low actually. Probably it's best to go to the EVP recordings band camp at the moment, and and the Nerve Gas website's good. Uh, apart from that, just go just Google it and it'll come up. <clears throat> Excuse yep. my throat's pretty bad.
0: No, you're up, right, bro. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, well, for people listening, I mean, I honestly support these guys, particularly if you're Australian, because you know you want this band, you want these guys to to go overseas and conquer, like what Neo have done and Thy artists And actually, I've actually got my money on you guys being the next ones that can do it. You know that? Um, out of all of the bands that I've heard so far, particularly that have that have emerged with a good album in 2019, my money's on you guys. Um so good, look I man thanks heaps for the chat you know good luck with everything I really I love listening to this album um but I just look forward again to seeing what what you come up with man and I just uh, to see where you take this man and I think you know you've got a very long and fruitful career playing extreme music as an Astro- a wicked band from Adelaide
1: Thank you yeah well yeah thanks for the, all the kind words and uh, I'm really glad like whoever the album reaches it's really awesome to hear all the feedback and um yeah, you know, we'll just keep, you know, writing music that that we want to write and hopefully it will sort of have just as good reception as the last album and reach even more people. We'd mm. love to go overseas and keep touring more so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, sweet man. Look, if you're happy with everything we've spoken about, I certainly am. It's been a wonderful conversation. I'll just release it as it is and um I'll just do you want to send it to you via um Facebook Messenger or tag you in on Facebook, you know, you want to not really put it yeah, up on sure, Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, I'll yeah, do that. Way. Yeah. People, um, I tend to get most, as I say earlier, most of my listeners are overseas. So I really try to give good Australian bands a platform like that. Just to, I mean, I'm talking a couple of hundred people I get to listen to organically each podcast episode, but I tend to get some comments too, man. So it's uh, hopefully, man, we get, get you some exposure over there with this.
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on the podcast.
0: Wicked, man. Well, thanks for accepting the invitation. As I say, I don't do this often, where I sort of reach out, but I'm really glad I did it, man, because it's been a really, really cool chat, man. And you're an awesome musician and a great band, so I appreciate it, brother.
1: Thank you. And yeah, sorry to everyone for my <coughs> lack of talk abilities today, but <laughs> not there I think my voice is starting to completely disappear on me. So,
0: but yeah. Oh well, rest up, brother. Go and get it. Go and get a whiskey into you, or something like that, and. uh you know, uh, if ever you want to have a chat again, you just want to shoot the shit and talk about metal or anything in particular, mate, just reach out. I'm always up for that, man. So, and we can put it on the podcast. it you know, just be something that we do because people want to listen to long-form conversation, man. You know, oh, Joe Rogan's the number one podcaster in the world these days for that reason, and some of his go for four hours, you know, three and Big four hours.
1: Joe Rogan, yeah. I'll, I'll sit there listening to him while I practice all the time.
0: It's funny. I do the same thing too. I just have him on in the background when I'm looking after the kids and in the car. I just love it. You know, yeah. he's just such a good conversationalist and such interesting subjects that, that come up. You know?
1: Yes. Yeah. Really good.
0: Sweet. All right, mate. We'll take care and we'll chat again soon.
1: Yeah, you too. Yeah. Thanks for the chat. Have a good
0: night. You too, brother. No worries. Catch ya. See ya. See you later. Bye. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A List Online. And my name is Andrew Mackay Smith. That interview subject was Matt Walters from the Adelaide-based outfit Freedom of Fear. Thanks for listening.